let's talk a little Big Ten basketball, yeah. and let's do it right now with Chris Naki. You can follow him on Twitter, ex-coach Naki, TV and radio analyst for the Terps. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing great. Nice to talk to you guys. So let's start uh, actually with the Terps with Maryland because that was a huge win, obviously, on Thursday over Purdue. Purdue, they were really struggling there, but they end up knocking them off by 14 points. So then yesterday you figure, all right, good spot here against Nebraska, and Nebraska actually pulls off the upset as six-and-a-half-point underdog, 70-66. to 66. So just what's your read right now on this season for Maryland, kind of up and down so far? They had been playing really good basketball, big wins over Penn State and Purdue, but tough losses to Michigan State and Nebraska, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a lot like most of the rest of Power Five. Um, and there's a lot of parity. And when the stars are in line and they're doing things they're supposed to be doing, I think they're fine. They, uh, um, you know, they've got some guys who can really play, and uh, yet there's just not much difference between, you know, a lot of the schools in, you know, a lot of the top like 30, 35 programs in D1. And um, so, and that said, when you go on the road, and you play in a tough environment, pretty much anything can happen, and we saw it happen at, at Nebraska yesterday. They just, I thought, as well as the team played, I thought the crowd played as much of a game, uh, as much of a part in that game as anybody, as anything. They they were outstanding, uh, a lot of energy. Maryland was up seven or eight with seven or eight to play, and really had every opportunity to, to win it, and um and the crowd just kind of willed it to be uh, Nebraska's day. Chris, do you think that there is a separation between Houston and and the rest of the teams in the top 35 or so? You're looking at an adjusted offensive four, adjusted defensive eight, kind of the most complete team in terms of those uh, efficiencies. I'm not going to argue with you that they're, you know, they're they're among the team, the cream of the crop. I just, I think. Um, and I've watched them play several times, and I, I can't really speak to the to the metrics part of it that you pointed out. I just think that on any given day, I, one of the games I watched them play was at home against Temple, and they looked extremely mortal in that game and lost it. And um, I just think that you know the NCAA tournament is a different animal. You, these are um, you know neutral court games played on a and in kind of a sterile environment in some cases. And um, they've got to be one of the betting favorites and, and certainly a, a really well-coached team. And I think a, a team to root, to root for because they play so hard and they do it all the right way. I just – I wouldn't make them I, – I, I don't think they've distanced themselves or separated themselves. I just think there are – literally, uh, this is not hyperbola. I, I, I really think – there are 25 or 30 teams this year could be that could be Final Four teams. It's just that kind of year right now between NIL, the portal, COVID year, and all of the variables that we're seeing right now. What are your uh, What do you think the ceiling is for this Indiana team? You know, they get healthy, and obviously everybody loves Trace. That was a big win over Illinois, but I mean they had a tough loss to Northwestern. Like most teams, you said in the Big Ten, kind of up and down, but they're getting hot at the right time. Do you feel like they could win a couple games in the tournament, Indiana? So. First of all, as it applies to Big Ten, it's a conference full of great home court advantages, yeah. and I think that's one of the things that uh, that Indiana ran into, including the game at Northwestern. Um, I, it, if you told me today 
that Indiana would win the Big Ten tournament in Chicago next month, I'd say, yeah, I get it. I completely understand. Uh, they're that good. They're that talented. Uh, you know, they're they're well coached, uh, and they've got Trace. You know, who's just had a monster year, and so. I think they're capable. Uh, you know, their guard play is one of those things that's going to dictate exactly what happens for them and to them. And um, I, I mean, they've got they've got a lot of really positive ingredients, and I would think they'd feel very positively headed into postseason. You mentioned that the Big Ten is is one of those conferences where just every team has this immense home court advantage. How does that factor in or play out in tournament play? Is that, in your opinion, from what you've seen in the many years that you've covered the sport, something that is a benefit or a detriment uh, to a Big Ten team going into to postseason play? Yeah, that's a good question. I And I, I think that um, I don't think it plays into it, to be quite honest with you. I, you know, like Maryland, for instance, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not objective, but I, I will. I'm there every game. You know, there there are people that say, boy, that if this team is to advance and to do well, they really need to figure out how to win on the road. Well, that's not necessarily true because, you know, all the big, as I mentioned, all the NCAA tournament games are played on neutral court situations. And when they've done that, they, played, they won two games at Mohegan Sun. They did everything but win the game against Tennessee, you know, on neutral court at, at uh, Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So um, I don't necessarily buy into that. Where, where it becomes an issue is, you know, the ability to win on the road. Say you're an 8-9 seed and you're, you're on that line and you, you have to, you're fortunate enough to win the first game and all of a sudden you're playing a one seed named Alabama and you're in Birmingham. Well, effectively that's a road game and that's when you need to, you need to have learned how to, how to win on the road, how to quell the crowd and how to deal with that. So, um, I I do think that um, you know I I think it's a little bit overrated. I, one of the things that I think is also a part of this too is you know the Big Ten officiating. It, it's different, and it's not to say it's better or worse. It's just different. And you, you when you migrate, you know uh, I saw uh, Lenardi's bracketology had Maryland going to Sacramento. Uh, to play in the first round of the tournament. And you, you're out in a situation like that, you never know who's going to officiate your games. And games are administered differently uh, across the country. And that's that's a part of the equation, too. There are just so many variables. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it, that's part of the excitement, right? There's just You, you, you just never know. Is North Carolina going to make the tournament? I thought yesterday that would have been a huge win, obviously, over North Carolina State. They take the lead in the second half. They were up seven points, and then they just completely fall apart. And we all just kind of expect them to turn around this season. But I don't know if it's going to happen. Are they Are they a bubble team? Like, are they even going to get in? Well, they're definitely a bubble team. I mean, they're in the 40s in Ken Palm. And I, here, I just think that at the end of the day, and maybe this is – uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't root one way or the other. I think they're going to beat Duke the last game of the season at at uh, in Chapel Hill, and that's going to be their quad one win, and that's going to give them a little bit of uh, margin, a little bit of comfort there. But I do think it might come down to the ACC tournament for them. They, uh, you know, that that though speaks to what I was talking about with the parity. You know, they were the consensus number one coming into the season. Now they're just another team. 
and they're in the 40s in by most metrics and so that tells you there are just a lot of teams out there with a lot of guys and uh it's going to be that kind of march you know i'm an oregon fan chris and another team that's been pretty disappointing is oregon too they ended up losing uh yesterday to washington state i believe they were favored in that game uh in the palouse uh do you think that they get into the tournament so to me, <laughs> the question around Oregon, I don't know if you want the macro or the micro. Okay, so um, I think macro. They, got, <laughs> uh, they got work to do. The macro to me involves Oregon and their future. Yeah. Right? I mean, so like with all the contraction and additions and stuff like that, there are other shoes to fall here, right? In to me, Oregon is a part of that conversation. And, and some of it revolves around, I don't want to get really nerdy here. I apologize if I, if I am, but I just think that part of that revolves around the big, the uh, Pac-12 and the TV deal that they may or may not make. And um, if it's not favorable to Oregon and maybe to Washington, uh, they might be in a completely different situation here in another year or two in terms of the conferences that they're they're aligned with. Um, I've watched them play. I watched them play at UCLA uh, twice, or pl- pl- watched them play once, excuse me, at Oregon, and uh, certainly seen enough of them uh, watching the Conference of Champions, as my guy Bill Long likes to say. But uh, I think they're they're in the conversation. Uh, it, this is a fascinating two or three weeks ahead where there's going to be some fluidity, some liquidity here in terms of what happens over the course of, uh, of these weeks. And, and there are spots to be earned and spots to be lost. When, when big-time recruits leave a program early on like they have at Oregon, what does that mean? Well, it's stunning to me because uh, Oregon has some built-in advantages, not the least of which is the fact that Phil Knight is, uh, you know, is, is there. I – you know, you've got a great coach. You've got a, a, a terrific coach there in Dana Altman. Um, maybe it means part, partially I get, this is only conjecture. Maybe he's a bit of a hard ass. Maybe he's a, a, a old school guy and the, and the younger guys don't want to deal with him um, in, a, in a situation like that. Maybe, I'm, I mean, I have no idea exactly what it might mean, but it's a concern. And the fact of the matter is you also have a lot of, conversely, you have a lot of schools in Division One that have benefited by continuity and by by guys sticking around and staying and playing longer together, and that really hurts Oregon when you know we you compete against teams like that. I mean, it seems like the UCLA guys, uh, Tiger and 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 and, and Ivy Vass- yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they seems like they've been together forever, and um, you know we played them. Maryland played them early in the season, and I wish we'd never played them. <laughs> but you know, it's it, you, that's what you're dealing with on the landscape, and it's an enormous advantage when you play against a team like that that has been together and is so you know is in that kind of harmony. Chris, uh, we only got about two minutes. Is there a mid-major team? I know we're still a month and a half away from the tournament, but a mid-major team that you really have your eye on, you know, like Oral Roberts, who's sixteen and zero in the Summit. Their losses, I believe, this year: St. Mary's, Houston, and New Mexico, and. Utah State. Is there a mid-major team that you have your eyes on right now that maybe will be able to yeah, make a run? Yeah. By, by the way, my daughter's on that staff at Utah really? State, so I got to give. Uh, yeah. So I was glad you mentioned that at the tail end there. I would have scolded you had you not. No, I had you. I had you. I knew that, of course. <laughs> I do. I do my research. 
<laughs> I think I think they feasted on on that summit schedule. Yeah. Uh, Oral Roberts. I watched them play the game against Utah State. Uh, they're good. Uh, they're certainly capable. It kind of depends on your definition. So are are Gonzaga and St. Mary's mid majors? So I really like I, I like the St. Mary's team a lot this year. I, I do too. I guess, man, te- not anymore. But I guess technically, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I, I like St. Mary's more than I like Gonzaga. They're yeah. Drew Timmy uh, centric, and I don't think they have the guys they used to have. The kind of wealth of talent around them. College of Charleston is very good, but they're in a one bid league. It's one of those things where if they they meet Hofstra or. UNC Wilmington in a tournament, they may be there in, in their tournament. They may be out, and then all of a sudden you got a team with 25 wins that isn't in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, you know, I mean, I was, it's funny you asked the question because I was going over the, the mid-major top 25 earlier today, yeah. and I found a lot of reason to dislike some of the teams because I've seen them play and also because they play in one mid leagues where they could get bounced. Uh, the only ones I couldn't find any reason to like were those two teams from, you know, uh, for, uh, you know, basically Gonzaga and St. Mary's where, yeah. you know, they're legit. They're legit. And I think, you know, again, I don't know if they're mid-major or major, but they're, they're good teams. Yeah. Next time we have you on, I want to talk about that, though, because I feel like we got to figure out something. If you have a 16-0, if you go undefeated in conference play, you get bounced in the tournament. I mean, one bad game, I just feel like I, I get it. Uh, we got to get the major schools in, but I just feel like that's kind of an issue. But because, do we, though? Well, we were t- I was talking about this when I was covering Northwestern with Chris Collins. Like, It's not just the Blue Bloods anymore. Kentucky, I mean, we saw that a couple of years ago out of the pandemic where all those teams struggled. I like some of these mid-major programs, and we've seen that teams. Makes it more fun. We've seen teams make these runs, you know. Yeah. But uh, well, I said first of all, I love me some Chris Collins. He's yeah. a great dude, and and uh, he's done a he's he could be national coach of the year this year. But doesn't this also speak to let's make this you know ninety six teams instead of sixty eight? <laughs> it does. I mean, let's, let's, let's. I mean, you still have three hundred seventy four teams. It's not like it's not like the NHL where you're taking sixty percent of the teams who you know. Uh, you, you're even if you took 96, you're only really taking 25 percent of the Division right. One population. It's a it's a no brainer. Chris, thanks so much, man. We got to get That's you in the awesome. studio one of these times. Chris Naki, right there. Give him a follow on Twitter at Coach Naki. We'll uh, talk again soon.